finding freedom in truth, pursuing truth in scripture. This is the Mormon Hope Podcast with Brandon Vaughn and Dave Malinak. Welcome into the Mormon Hope Podcast. I'm Brandon Vaughn along with Dave Malinak. And uh, I guess we need to knock the rust off a little bit. As we, uh, <laughs> Been I know a little people, while. People thought that we uh, went into the abyss somewhere. Uh, <laughs> Hibernation. Yeah. We didn't. Uh, man, we haven't recorded since last year. Yeah. Uh, you know, between you being so busy and, you know, my wife's health, which, you know, I praise report she's doing a lot better with this uh diet and this natural medicine they got her on so that's that's amazing that's good but uh glad to be back and glad to be uh recording a a new season the mormon hope podcast and uh i hope you had a a good holiday good christmas i I heard that you're getting a uh a new daughter-in-law I am. Yeah, that's right. My son got engaged a couple of days before Christmas. And in fact, she came out uh, to visit with him um, from the Denver area. And uh, we've been getting to know her. We've only honestly, we had prior to their engagement spent less than 24 hours with her. Oh, wow. Um, So just everything we've known about her has come through our son and um, and some interaction between her and her, we went to visit her and so on. But um, anyway, we're really excited about it. Really fine young lady, um, honoring the Lord, loves the Lord, um, has a pretty amazing story. That would be another episode uh, to tell her story. And, um, you know, sometime eventually we'll get to that. But uh, definitely uh, shows the marks of God's grace in her life all over. Uh, everything with her and what uh, God has done in her life and her family uh, is truly remarkable and uh, full of God's grace, the glory of the gospel all over that. Praise the Lord for that. I I think what actually happened is you gave John the talk. Look, I just hit 50. It's, it's, <laughs> time, it's time for some grandkids. And- high time. <laughs> I, you ask our church. I've said it multiple times. It's high time. I was a grandfather. My friends are. <laughs> so it's time. And uh, <laughs> he, t- he took that as a challenge. <laughs> <laughs> well, there you go. We uh, we had a good Christmas. We got to go out to uh, Alabama and Mississippi and visit some uh, some family. So that's that was been been really great. And so but was so excited about the new year and and I guess um I mean it's been so long I guess we need to like reintroduce ourselves but <laughs> uh, as I said I'm Brandon Vaughn and uh, of course along with my co-host Dave Malinat we are pastors Baptist pastors in northeastern Utah Pastor Malinak is the pastor of Brian Baptist Church in Ogden Utah and I'm the pastor of Grace Baptist Church in Logan Utah and uh so we love to use this platform uh, by which to have conversations with our LDS friends and neighbors. And, uh, you know, something we're doing uh, differently this year is since we are starting a new year, we're actually going to be following along with the, the LDS Come Follow Me curriculum all throughout 2024. And so every week, we're just simply going to follow along with the church, with the lessons they go through. And we're just going to do it from a a historical 
biblical Christian perspective. Uh, yeah. You know, so often when we do this, and I want to say this at the onset, so often when we do this, you know, we get accused of uh, Mormon bashing or, yes, you know, right. hatred or, you know, persecution. And, I, you know, I would just encourage our LDS listeners, like we're not, that is not our objective at all. No. Um, you know, I think ultimately everybody ought to value truth. You know, Jesus said it's the truth that sets people free. Yeah. And so I would just encourage our listeners, don't don't be so quick to think, you know, this is a personal attack. We're we're just having a conversation. Yeah. And I would I would just encourage people to listen to the content of our message because I you know it's it's just it doesn't matter who you are. It's I think sometimes it's way too easy just to kind of play the hate card and then yeah. you you don't feel the need to engage with the content of what's being said. Yeah. So, well, and I think also the foundation of the LDS church, I think it gets ignored in the whole thing because the the foundation of the church is a revelation. Joseph Smith says that he had in which he says, God told him that all churches, all Christian churches are apostate. Now I would consider that to be um, highly offensive um, that that claim is made and that the LDS church is then the exclusive home of truth. Um, and, uh, the place where the only, the only church that gets it right. Uh, you know, many LDS people have told me, well, I think other churches have the truth. They just don't go far enough. Well, you know, that's the same thing. So the fact that you couch it nicely, uh, I'm supposed to somehow ignore the essential message of that, which is that uh, the Baptist church in particular is apostate. Uh, that's, that's hostile to say that. Wait, I was um, talking I don't... to a, I was talking to a uh, young man, LDS, um, when we were handing out tracts uh, at Temple Square during the last general conference. Yeah. And he was, he was kind of upset with me because he said that our tracks are like anti-Mormon. They're really not. They're just telling the truth about the Christian gospel and Mormonism. And he said, I just don't like how you have to tear down other religions to try to prove <laughs> your point. And I said, well, here's the thing, man. I said, let me ask you this. I said, do you believe that the LDS church is the one true church? And he was honest. And he said, yes. And I said, what's the opposite of true? And yeah. he knew he knew where I was going with that. And <laughs> yeah. so he said, um, less true. <laughs> so, you know, like I'm not offended by that. Like I actually have much more respect for somebody who comes to me and says, you know, we believe totally different things. But I I believe that my faith is true. And I'm, I, I can totally respect that. OK, let's talk about that. Yeah. But to, you know, try to, you know, kind of pretend i guess that we all believe the same thing it's just it's just intellectually dishonest that's right that's right so i mean we're being up front with our bias i mean like we yeah. we're biblical that's christians right. we believe that uh the bible genesis revelation is the word of god and everything else outside of that any extra biblical revelation is false i mean we just say that's it right. up front that's right so yep. but again we're just trying to share the the gospel of grace Amen. Uh, the Christ of the Bible. And so let's just jump right in with the very first lesson from the Come Follow Me 2024 curriculum. Uh, lesson one is just 
the title is actually very self-explanatory, Introductory Pages of the Book of Mormon. And I want to read just the first section because I think it's going to be a springboard for pretty much everything we're going to talk about. Yeah. But it says right here in the first paragraph, before you even get to First Nephi chapter 1, you will notice the Book of Mormon is no ordinary book. Its introductory pages describe a backstory unlike any other, including visits from angels, an ancient record buried for centuries in a hillside, and a young man translating the record by the power of God. The Book of Mormon is not just a history of ancient American civilizations. It seeks to convince all that Jesus is the Christ. And so uh, I, I could read more, but I think that's the gist of right, where, yeah. where we're going. And so when, when I read the, as a biblical Christian, when I read statements like this that hold up the Book of Mormon and say there is no other book like the Book of Mormon, the, the immediate like knee-jerk reaction, the question burning in all of our hearts is, what about the Bible? Right, yes. <laughs> what What about yes. a book like, unlike any, what about the Bible? Yes. Well, and the so, uh, LDS Church teaches that the Book of Mormon is another testament of Jesus Christ. And uh, I have a few thoughts on that, but I think I'll wait until we get to the meat of our presentation. Now to talk about those things, but um, definitely this is being presented um, as if uh, the Book of Mormon is the main thing. And I think that many LDS would think, well, it's the most recent revelation. And so uh, we ought to, you know, the, the most recent testament. And so it ought to get more credence for that. Um, but, and I, again, uh, we'll, We'll hold on to that for a moment. Well, and on that thought, um, you know, with these lessons come these short video clips. And and I wanted to yeah. play just a short clip uh, from Elder Holland, because I believe he he again reiterates some of the sentiments of what we just read. Let's let's hear from his own words what he has to say. and We'll come back and just kind of get into it. The Book of Mormon is the Word of God. Like the Bible, it is Holy Scripture. It is a record of God's dealings with the ancient inhabitants of the Americas and contains the fullness of the everlasting gospel. The book was written by many ancient prophets through the spirit of prophecy and revelation. Their words, written on gold plates, were quoted and abridged by a prophet historian named Mormon. The crowning event recorded in the Book of Mormon is the personal ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ among the Nephites soon after His resurrection. It puts forth the doctrines of the gospel, outlines the plan of salvation, and tells men and women what they must do to gain peace in this life and eternal salvation in the life to come. In due course, the plates were delivered to Joseph Smith, 
who translated them by the gift and power of God. The record is now published in many languages as a new and additional witness that Jesus Christ is the Son of the living God and that all who will come unto him and obey the laws and ordinances of his gospel may be saved. We invite all men and women everywhere to read the Book of Mormon, to ponder in their hearts the message it contains, and then to ask God, the Eternal Father, in the name of Christ, if the book is true. Those who pursue this course and ask in faith will gain a testimony of its truth and divinity by the power of the Holy Ghost. So, as we just heard from Elder Holland, he says the, the Book of Mormon is the Word of God. And he also made the statement that if you pray and ask God yeah. to confirm you know, the truthfulness, truthfulness of it, that he is guaranteed that he will. Yeah. yeah and this, this brings up um, just we actually just kind of outlined this with four points that we want to talk about. But before we get to that, I, I do want to say this. And, and this is for any of our listeners, LDS, Christian, atheist, whoever's listening to this, this, this applies to all of us. Good thinkers are required to vet truth claims. Yes, it is, it absolutely. Is the, it is the nature of critical thinking is to vet truth claims. Yeah, it's actually irrational not to. It's irrational yes. to act as if a truth claim should go unexamined. Yes. So in this lesson, we we the, there's been some truth claims made, and that right. is that uh, the Book of Mormon is the Word of God. There is no other book like the Book of Mormon. Uh, in fact, uh, Joseph Smith says the most perfect book uh, ever written. <laughs> and also that if you pray and ask God to confirm its right. truthfulness, that He will do that. So these are the right. these are the main truth claims that we are going to be vetting. That's right. And I would just encourage our LDS listeners uh, not only to vet truth claims. Uh, from your own leaders, but vet our truth claims by all means vet what we say. Yes. Yes. And, but there has to be an ultimate standard for truth. And that I think is what we come up against with our LDS neighbors and friends uh, is that we're working from a different standard and a different standpoint. And that standard uh, for the LDS has a lot to do with, um, with, subjective experience, but I'm getting ahead of myself. I think that you wanted to read the first, we have four statements that we're going to make, and then we're going to discuss each of these. So we'll make the statement, then we'll discuss it, and then go to the next statement. Yes. Yeah, so the first thing that we had written down is that the empirical evidence for the Bible is, is simply overwhelming, but the empirical evidence for the Book of Mormon is rather underwhelming. And when we talk about empirical objective evidence, we're talking about tangible evidence that can be investigated. It can be, right. it can be seen, it can be dissected. And, you know, so if, if we make the truth claim 
that the Bible is the only inspired word of God. It is the way that God has specifically revealed himself to mankind and everything else is false. That's a truth claim. We yes. just heard that the Book of Mormon is the word of God. It's the most perfect book and there's no other book like it. Those those two statements, those two truth claims cannot both be true. Right. And so right. W- what is it? What is true? Yeah. And so what if you're going to say that there's no other book like the Book of Mormon and it is the word of God, how would you vet that objectively? Yeah. So a couple things I would point out about the Book of Mormon that um, I think are important to the discussion. Number one, the Book of Mormon is not like any other book in the Bible. Um, the Old Testament and New Testament were both written uh, in such a way. Well, Peter describes it this way, that holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost, so that uh, everyone from Moses uh, to David, to the Apostle Paul, uh, when they wrote Scripture, uh, God was superintending, and God was uh, exclusively inspiring what they were saying in a way uh, that they were putting their thoughts down on paper, and God was stamping it as being God-breathed, the God-breathed Word of God, as Second Timothy 3.16 uh, refers to it. But the Book of Mormon doesn't even make that claim. The Book of Mormon uh, is not an; it's not given by inspiration. It's given by translation. Yes. Uh, Joseph Smith translated gold plates. Now, this is where the Book of Mormon is not just one off; it's like many off from the Bible, because the Book of Mormon uh, was supposedly given by an angel. It was given 1,600 years ago. It was hidden for 1,600 years, uh, which is not something you find in any other part of the Word of God, any part of the Bible at all. God never hid the Word of God at all. He, um, He gave it through His men, His prophets, and His apostles, and so on. So, so that is very important to say. Uh, we certainly have the the case where the uh, the priests discovered the books of the law in the temple that had fallen into disrepair and ruin and fallen out of use and had been forgotten because of the waywardness of man. But God was not the one who hid it. It was the Book of Mormon. The gold plates were hidden before, and then. After Joseph Smith translated it, they were hidden again. So there is no, there's no record. There's no ability to go back and verify or confirm. There's no possibility of investigating the translation for accuracy, which is something that we can do every bit with every part of the Old and New Testaments. In those 66 books, we can examine the translations in light of the given words, and we can see uh, whether or not it's translated accurately, we don't have that ability with the Book of Mormon whatsoever. In the claim is made, in fact, that the Book of Mormon is written in a language that is unknown to man, and that Joseph Smith translated it not because he was expert in the language at all, but because he looked through his hat and used a peepstone in order to do it, which is a well-known fact at this point. So that the witnesses to the Book of Mormon are not even able to verify or confirm that he translated accurately. All that they can say is that God told them that he translated it. 
that's all. They can't confirm it. They can't verify it. So these kinds of claims are um, highly, I mean, it, it, honestly, when I look at this, objectively, it it has all the appearances of a scam that somebody is running. Well, and when we talk about empirical evidence, I think it's important to point this out. You just said that we don't have any manuscripts. We don't even have the supposed golden plates. There's no way to vet Joseph Smith's work. And when it comes to the Bible, you know, we have thousands of yeah. ancient manuscripts in the original languages. In fact, That's we, right. we have over 5,700 yeah. manuscripts for the New Testament alone. Alone, yeah. That's and now right. I know, like, to put this in layman's terms, the reason this is important is because when the Old Testament prophets and the New Testament apostles, when they wrote the God-inspired scriptures, the the church and the Jews they thought so much of it that they wanted to circulate it. Well, they had to do hand copies back then. Yes. And so you had copies of copies of copies of copies, and it's a built-in way to make sure that a forgery you know, can't happen. If you have 100 manuscripts of a certain text and two of them are just off the wall, they don't match the other ones at all, you just throw them away because you know that it's a forgery or a, a yeah. huge mistake. And yeah. And so – you know, if you think about, you know, works of antiquity, uh, Homer comes in at second place with only like 643 manuscripts. It's not even close. And right. no, nobody right. questions the authenticity of the works of Homer. So we right. know like when you when you're gauging an ancient text, the two questions you need to ask is, is what they wrote actually true? And number two, do we actually have what they wrote? Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, when it comes to the Bible and the ancient text, like to try and argue that we don't actually have what they wrote is just disingenuous. Like that. Absolutely. It's a Mount Everest that you can't climb. Well, we have um, we have manuscripts that date back to the second century. Uh, and, you know, the canon, the, the canon of the New Testament was completed at the end of the first century. I mean, like around well, 96 or 97 a AD. So we have manuscripts that are within 50 years of the closing of the canon of the New sure. Testament. There's, If you go to the works of Aristotle, the works of Plato, Homer, now the ancient Greeks, who still are widely circulated today and not really questioned as to authenticity, but the earliest manuscripts that we have available to us from them sometimes date uh, to uh, 500 to 1,000 years. Uh, there's nothing close to the Bible. There is a record of the transmission of Scripture that is nearly impeccable. And the manuscripts, uh, though there are differences between them, in fact, it's been said that no two manuscripts are exactly alike, which is true. Um, but the manuscripts are amazingly amazingly similar um like the the differences between them are small percentages like eight to ten percent difference but among all of them and that's out of 5700 manuscripts so you're talking about um a, a um astounding record that we have uh, of the very words that god gave and, uh, and we're talking preserved. and we're talking about differences i mean we're talking about 
you know, maybe spelling differences or, right. you know, some minuscule. We're not even talking about changes in doctrine. The vast majority of the differences and the variance in the text are of no consequence whatsoever. Um, that just literally letters, spellings, um, that kind of thing. Uh, sometimes, you know, just as if you sat down and copied by hand a passage of scripture, uh, you would probably miss a line or skip a line or skip a word or something like that. And that's what many of the variants amount to. Uh, definitely not a change in other things that are significant. So I think that um, when it comes to the manuscript tradition, uh, it, there is no, there, there are no gold plates for it to be examined. There's nothing to go to except for Joseph Smith's translation. And again, I would emphasize that Joseph Smith did not give an inspired word. He gave, gave a translated word. Absolutely. And so, you know, we, we got to move on to our next point. But just to say in passing, so with the Bible, we have, you know, thousands of manuscripts that are thousands of years old. So we actually have what the authors wrote uh, versus, you know, the Book of Mormon. We don't have any manuscripts. We don't have any golden plates. There's no way to vet Joseph Smith's work. I mean, I could go on and talk about the archaeological evidence that supports the Bible, which is overwhelming versus absolutely nothing, not an arrowhead, not a piece of pottery, nothing right. to prove nothing. the existence of these American civilizations, these ancient civilizations, or even, I mean, to be honest, there's not even any tangible proof that the so-called prophets of the Book of Mormon even existed. That's right. That's and right. And so, uh, you know, we could talk about the prophecies. There's thousands of them in the Bible fulfilled. We could talk about no prophecies fulfilled in uh, the Book of Mormon. I, I know as we go through each lesson, I know that we're going to get deeper in this. I don't want to, you know, stop right here, but I, I do want to move on to point number two, and uh, that has to do with the subjective truth that uh, Elder Holland was just speaking about. That's right. Why don't you read that second point, Pastor Melanette? Okay. The LDS Church offers subjective reasons to believe, but the Bible is objectively true. I think that, um, first of all, uh, we need to be very clear about the difference between what is subjectively true and what is objectively true. I think it's something we've discussed in previous sessions, but, you know, it's been a while. Yeah. Um, so uh, subjective truth is dependent on you. It's person specific. It's uh, your feelings, your opinions, your desires, your tastes, uh, your dreams and goals and so on. Uh, your subjective reasons die with you. Objective reasons are true from the foundation of the world. They would be true. Now, whether we ever existed or not, whether I ever existed or not, and the Bible gives us many objective reasons for believing its truth. But when uh, when we hear uh, uh, the apostle like uh, Holland, um, Elder Holland, say that you need to read the Book of Mormon, you need to ponder it, and you need to pray and ask God to show you whether it's true or not, he's telling you that you need to look for a subjective reason. That's interesting to me because it seems to me if that's the first thing, if that's the go-to, then he, there, that's a tacit admission 
that there are not objective reasons for believing the Book of Mormon to be true, because you are being told to look for a testimony, and that testimony is going to be person-specific. It's going to be unique to you. It's going to depend on you. If you died, it dies with you. That's subjective, entirely subjective. And on that thought, um, you know, kind of getting just back to the lesson here online, I I just want to read this section because you just said this Um, under the section. I can be a witness of the Book of Mormon. It says the Holy Ghost can testify to you that the Book of Mormon is true, even though you haven't seen the gold plates. Uh huh. And so it's it's literally telling the reader to exchange objective empirical evidence and truth for that which is subjective right that's and right I, I would just ask our lds listeners to think about this scenario you know if you got summoned to jury duty and you're sitting on the jury at your local courthouse and you actually get like a murder trial and the prosecuting attorney gets up and he says your honor members of the jury you know we've got dna evidence that links the defendant to the murder. We've got, uh, we've got uh, video, you know, we found the murder weapon in his possession. Like these are all objective realities. This is objective empirical evidence. Right. But then the defense attorney gets up and says, uh, well, here's what I want you to do. Members of the jury. <laughs> I want you to, you know, pray about it. Yeah. Because see, I know, I know that my defendant is innocent. Um, I have, I testify that he's innocent. And if you'll just pray and ask God to confirm his innocence in your heart, then you'll know that he's innocent. You know, we would never yeah. accept that. No, no. Well, and you bring up a good point also in this, um, that when it comes down to, uh, when it comes down to how, uh, Elder Holland and others, the LDS church is telling its members to verify or confirm the truth of the Book of Mormon, um, we if 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 I challenge that as a way of knowing, if I say that's not a way of knowing the truth, the response that I will get almost inevitably will be a quote from the Bible. For example, now many in the LDS Church will defend that means of confirming the truth. With James 1, 5, if any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God, which give it to all men liberally and abrade it not. Okay, so so let's just say that, all right? Let's say that that James 1, 5 is the standard, the authority for saying this is the way we confirm the truth. Well, then that would make James 1, 5 the reason, not an objective, a subjective experience, not yes. a testimony that you've received. So I think that our LDS friends are caught in a dilemma here. If the if the Bible is the authority for seeking confirmation of the truth that way, well, then you don't need to seek confirmation of the truth that way. You need to just read the Bible and believe it. If your means of confirming the truth of uh, of finding the truth and knowing the truth is to seek a testimony from God, then you should do that across the board. You should do that with everything. That should be the standard for finding the truth and discovering whether or not a thing is true or not. And ironically, in James chapter one, 
the context is all about reading and obeying the Word of God. Absolutely. Absolutely. So uh, the Bible is the standard. The Bible is the authority. In fact, I'm getting a little ahead of us, uh, of ourselves here. So we may, maybe we should go to the third point. Yeah, let's go to point number three, because it ties in with what we're talking about. You know, I think, you know, I've talked to so many LDS that hear me say things like this. And they, I mean, they really do get emotional. They say, no, you don't understand. My experience was so real to me. And listen, I wouldn't even try to deny that. Right. But I've I've often asked this question and I've never gotten an answer. How can you prove beyond any reasonable doubt that your experience was not demonic in nature? Right. How do you know it came from God? Exactly. And so this brings us. Yeah. Well, I was going to say that on that point as well, I've done the same thing as you. I've asked people to tell me how they knew that that came from God. And always their answer to me is, well, that's what the Bible says. I say, well, wait wait a minute. If the Bible is the standard, then the Bible's the standard. If it's not, then something else is the standard and we can accept uh, or we should look for what that standard is because we want to know what's the bedrock, what's the foundation for believing these things. Yeah. And so, um, you know, going along with our third point here, and this is what we had written down the Book of Mormon doesn't deserve special status or escape scrutiny because of the zeal and passion many have for defending it. Right. And I mean, I, right. I think this, it just kind of goes without saying that, um, you know, the level of our sincerity and the level of our emotional involvement doesn't make something true. That's right. And, and please, right. our LDS listeners, please don't misunderstand what I'm about to say. I'm not comparing you, you know, to rad- radical Muslims here. But when we think about uh, the Muslims that flew planes into the Twin Towers and killed over 3,000 people, we know beyond any shadow of a doubt they were sincere in what they believed, but they were oh, sincerely yeah. wrong. And very and, passionate. Yes. And my point is that you can be sincerely wrong. Yeah. Well, maybe a more relevant example would be what Paul said about the Judaizers in his day, that they had a zeal of God, but not according to knowledge. Yes. Um, he talked about, in fact, and he was he could speak from experience because he knew in himself um, that his passion, his desire to drive Christianity off the face of the earth. Uh, but he also came by God's grace. He came to realize that that passion was contrary to the truth. Yes. And so, again, you know, just kind of rehashing, we're talking about it's really all an issue of authority, isn't it? I yeah, mean, absolutely. What are we what is the standard by which we determine truth and right and wrong and good and evil. What what are we going to base our life off? What is going to govern our decisions? I will uh, throw a challenge out to our LDS listener, and then I'll answer the challenge from the Bible itself. All right, so here's my challenge to our LDS listeners. Sit down and write out the objective reasons why one should believe the Book of Mormon is true. Write out what those objective reasons are, okay? And then I will give you objective reasons to believe that the Bible is true. And here are some things that I'll point to. Number one, the Bible says things that only God would say. 
The Bible says things that no man would say. And as a case in point, what the Bible says about man himself, because when men talk about men, they always speak in terms of man being basically good, man being uh, morally upright, a man being uh, fine. You know, we just make some mistakes. Nobody's perfect, but man is basically good. The Bible speaks the opposite of that. The Bible tells us that there's none that seeketh after God. There's none that understandeth. There's none that doeth good. No, not one. That God created man upright, but man has sought out many devices that all have sinned and come short of the glory of God, that we are all under a sentence of death, all of us condemned. These are things that Man would never say about men. When you listen to men talk about men, they always speak in glowing terms. Yes. But God is not enamored with us. And the second thing, as a case in point, is that the Bible says things about God that only God would say, that man would never say. And I'll give you, as the number one example of this, the doctrine of the Trinity, which is clearly presented in the Word of God. There are three who are spoken of as God. The Father is spoken of as God. The Son is spoken of as God. The Holy Spirit is spoken of as God. And yet the Bible states very clearly that there is but one God only, that God does not know any other at all. And the Bible says these things repeatedly. So this is the kind of thing, again, man struggles to conceive of the Trinity, and the Bible clearly teaches the doctrine of the Trinity. And so these are things that uh, give us objective reasons for saying that the Bible is true, objectively true. Uh, and in fact, we can say also that it is impossible to make sense of the world apart from what the Bible tells us about the world. So all of these are objective reasons. So my challenge to the LDS listener is sit down and write out objective reasons for believing that the Book of Mormon is true. Yes. And, you know, as we kind of come in for a landing, you know, I just want to point this out. I think it's so important based on what we've been talking about. You know, God could have chosen any way he wanted to, to communicate his specific revelation to mankind, but he gave us a document. Yes. And, and documents are meant to be examined. They're meant right. to be vetted. And the reason that a document is so important is because it takes away somebody's ability to back out of what they said. Yeah. yeah. And God doesn't, God's not worried about that. I mean, the, the right. Bible has withstood oh, yeah. the most intense scrutiny over the years. You know, documents are not meant to be prayed over to find out right. whether or not they're true. They're meant to <laughs> be vetted. Right. Yeah, that's right. Like, I don't pray over the Declaration of Independence to decide <laughs> whether or not that's true. That is, number one, it is a true statement of our reasons for separating from England. And number two, it states true things about the, the rights of men that are innate given by God um, and government is to be the defender of. So, and the same with the constitution, I don't pray over that. It's uh, it's in fact, I think the declaration states that uh, an objective reason for believing it, we hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal. Uh, there is such a thing as self-evident truth. And uh, in fact, I would say, 
you read the read the Bible and you will see what a self-evident truth looks like. Uh, because again, it's evident that God is the one speaking in the Bible. It's evident that He's not worried, and that's one of the, one of the critiques of the Bible is that there are points, you know, minor points that seem um, contradictory, uh, paradoxical points in the Bible. And I like to point out to people that uh, it shows the confidence of God in writing it, that he's not trying to prove himself to anybody. He's telling you, he's revealing his mind in the word of God. Absolutely. And, and so this really takes us to our closing point, and that is simply that the Bible it's God's authoritative word and will be our reference point as we examine the Book of Mormon going forward. I mean, like I said, they, you know, they they can't both be true. I mean, they're so, right. uh, you know, contradictory in the way that we even got them in what right. they say in the message of hope and the gospel and the afterlife. You know, things that are different, not the same, and you cannot cram a square peg in a round hole. Right. That's right. And, and so really going forward each week, we're just going to take what's being taught uh, in the Come, Follow Me curriculum, and we're just going to, you know, look at it through a biblical lens. Yes. And so we, we just want to encourage our listeners uh, again, you know, Jesus Christ, his death, burial and resurrection is the only way to heaven. It's the only sacrifice that pleases God. There's no works we can do to erase our sin. And so it, re- it really is about uh, salvation by grace through faith in Jesus Christ, because we can never be good enough. And that's, that's right. the good news of the gospel. So, um, <clears throat> Pastor Malinat, you have anything before we wrap this episode up? No, I just hope that our LDS friends will listen and give us a hearing on this and uh, examine what we're saying in the light of Scripture as the authority uh, for what we ought to believe. Absolutely. And. One more wrinkle that I forgot to mention that we're throwing in this season is uh, we're actually doing a Mormon Hope blog as well each week just to give a right. kind of a brief synopsis of what we talk about in the podcast. You know, sometimes if, if you're like me and Dave, sometimes you just like to read something. And so uh, probably about a 10 minute uh, read. Yeah. And so uh, that's um, mormonhope.blogspot.com. And it'll also yeah. uh be on our Facebook page. You can follow us on Facebook, the Mormon hope podcast. And, uh, also if you have any questions, comments, criticisms, uh, you can email me directly at preacher of grace at yahoo.com. And pastor Malinate, what's your email? My email is my last name is P as in pastor. And my last name, M A L L I N A K at gmail.com. Well, thanks for listening and join us again next week as we follow along with uh, Come Follow Me 2024. Pastor Malinak, have a good one, my friend. Yes, sir. We'll talk soon.